The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comber, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman grew up in a household where the family moved every 12 months or so. She never felt she had roots and friendships were often superficial. And she became very attuned to what kind of life she might want. She observed that her mother had very little voice in things and she realized this was not what she wanted. As a young woman, she studied English and organizational dynamics and began to step into being a powerful leader who could develop powerful workplace teams. She became good at asking for what she wanted, and as her leadership skills sharpened, she found herself running divisions globally for many different size organizations. Today, she walks a path to greatness as she uses her extensive knowledge to help executives create and thrive in well-functioning teams. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Sean Kent Hayashi. Did I get that correct? Hi, Sean. Thank you for joining me. (laughs) You sure did. And Annette, I'm so happy to be here with you today. What a blessing you create for women who are aspiring and inspiring leaders. Yes, I hear you. And so we have such a little time together. So I'm going to jump right on in. I know you love to create thriving workplaces. So what have you found is the number one thing leaders must do to have their workplaces be places of success and happiness. So leaders who want to create thriving environments for themselves and for others, there's a series of things that they need to do. Uh, Get really clear on what their own strengths are. Get clear on what the key accountabilities are. In other words, what, what is our promise? What is our commitment? And then what are the accountabilities that need to be done in order to fulfill that promise, that commitment? And then match people up into roles where they can be highly successful. So people have strengths. They have blind spots. uh, They also have uh, emotional intelligence, the way that they navigate through their emotions when things aren't going their way. And it's learning how to package all of that, how to put it together in a way that every person on the team can be a star performer. And thus, you create high-performing teams. And a happy team. Yes. Yes, because people like to do their best and show up in a a bright light, don't they? Indeed, we all want that. Yeah, and we sometimes underestimate that, don't we? How important that is to put put people in places they can succeed. Often we set people up for failure, and maybe not intentionally, but we do that sometimes as leaders, don't we? Well, when we don't take the time to really understand what the role is, what the accountabilities are, what are the motivators that the role rewards? And then making sure we really understand who the candidate is. You know, when hiring managers, in essence, take the firstborn body that comes along that says they're willing to work those hours and plops them in a role, that's not a guarantee for success. So it's peeling back uh, the layers of what's happening in this organization, the dynamics on the team, uh, who do we really need in order for all of us to thrive? Yes. Yeah, I love that perspective. It's brilliant. So often women leaders experience resentment and jealousy because of their success. So my question to you, Sean, have you experienced this yourself and how have you dealt with it so it hasn't derailed you? So I do a lot of work with executives, leaders around emotional intelligence. And whenever I hear the word resentment, I'm reminded that resentment is one of those words that we use to describe an emotion. and 
it can be born out of jealousy, envy. It can be born out of fear. It could be born out of anger. And so whenever any of us catch ourselves in resentment, it's an indicator that we need to hold up the mirror and do some processing, do some internal work for ourselves to really understand what's underneath that feeling and why. And do you find there are some common things underneath that feeling? What is the most common thing you find with your executives? Well, let's, if you don't mind, I'll step back just a moment and say that there are seven core emotions. So love, joy, and hope, I think of those as the top of the emotions ladder. Imagine for a moment an actual ladder with different rungs, you know, seven rungs on this ladder. So love, joy, and hope, those are the ones where when we are marinating in the chemical hormones that correspond with each of those emotions, we're creating great things in the world. And that's where we want to be most of the time. Reality is, though, we are going to sometimes feel envy, sadness, anger, fear. And so really deeply understanding the questions to ask ourselves to use our emotions to inform our actions rather than get stuck in one of those emotions. So resentment is often evidenced when someone has gotten stuck in anger, fear, sadness. Uh, So we have to understand what's underneath the resentment. I have on more than one occasion seen someone who was feeling envious, uh, jealous of someone else. And when I teach them how to process themselves through the jealousy, I, I encourage them to look at what is the experience that the other person has that you're wanting to create for yourself at a feeling level. And maybe it's that you see somebody else who's truly happy or excited about an opportunity, blessed with uh, some great uh, fortune. And then understanding how to identify what that would look like for yourself. And so as soon as we start processing ourselves through that emotion, we're no longer stuck in the envy and thus the resentment. Uh, Anger is another one of these. Anger is a fantastic tool that can help us to have the heat, the energy to deal with things in our lives that we need to deal with. Anger is a signal that something has crossed our boundaries. And so the minute that we start to feel anger, the way to process that, the way to use that to inform our actions is to ask ourselves questions like, uh, what crossed my boundaries? Who do I need to talk to about that in order to clean that up? And it might be, Annette, that I need to have a conversation with myself. Maybe I've crossed my own boundaries about something. And the anger is a signal, a mirror inviting me to look at that. Or it might be that I'm feeling very angry about somebody else who's crossed my boundaries. And then I need to muster up the courage. Again, the anger often has heat in it and uh, it, it can propel us forward if we will use it to go talk to the right person and ask for what we really need and want. Uh, not getting stuck in stuff that happened in the past, asking someone to go forward with a clear request. We often don't even have to indicate that we're angry. It can be really helpful in a conversation to just draw a line and say, hey, I I am very clear that I probably wasn't articulating what my needs or my boundaries or my were correctly in the past. And I have more clarity about that now. And I'd like to take the opportunity here to discuss what that looks like. And can we agree to move forward in this way? Yeah. And so I'm going to stay in this boundaries for a second, because you told me that 
feelings often reflect what is happening with one's boundaries. So explain what you mean by this and what should we do different and how should we even determine what our boundaries are? Well, again, I think anger is a fantastic tool to help us clarify our boundaries as long as we use it in a healthy way. You know, have you ever met somebody who spent a lot of time and energy venting but didn't really change so much for themselves? That's somebody who's not self-aware and they're using the anger to spew outward, but they're not actually learning from their experiences. And so I really strongly encourage people to keep an emotional intelligence journal every day for at least 30 days, but maybe even 60 or 90 days. Begin to ask yourself randomly throughout the day, what am I feeling right now? Until we develop our self-awareness, it's very hard to be able to process ourselves through our emotions. So this is really the first step in becoming emotionally intelligent, that awareness piece. I say randomly ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Because most people are not aware of what their predominant emotional set point is. And by doing this exercise, people begin to become aware of what their emotional set point is. And boundaries, boundary violations occur, and then we feel angry. And that's healthy. That's normal. That's good for us. But if we're venting out the anger instead of learning from it, we're not accomplishing much. So that stopping ourselves, using our learning journal, I might write in my learning journal, hey, I just caught myself feeling that flash of anger. And I know that one of the first questions I need to ask myself is what, what are my boundaries? What crossed my boundaries? So anger gives us that flash, that hot whoo, to get the clarity of here's a boundary. Now that I see it, I need to articulate it. I need to own it. And maybe even change it. Perhaps as Perhaps. I as I yeah as I'm processing myself through it, I may discover that I have unrealistic expectations of myself or yeah. of someone else. Then that becomes this realization that oh wait a minute that's not an expectation of my work colleague or of my seven year old or right so yes yes I agree. So I'm going to go into a little different direction. So I'm going to talk about fear. We're going to stay in this emotions, but I'm going to take it a little different direction. So fear can keep women small and have them not reach their full potential. So what can leaders do to not get themselves stuck in fear or to get themselves unstuck from fear? Sure. What a fabulous question, because I absolutely agree with you that fear can keep us stuck for a long time, particularly if we're not even aware that we're in fear. So fear has two faces. I never want someone to stop being able to experience fear. If I'm going 80 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, if I'm about to drink cloudy water in Mexico, if I'm about to hand my credit card over to somebody a little sketchy and I should be paying with cash, I want that flash of fear to stop me and slow me down. So fear's real purpose is to get us to remember, it's not a good idea to put your hand on that hot stove, but we live in a society that is constantly sending us messages that we're supposed to already know how to do everything. 
And so somewhere along the way, perhaps in elementary school or maybe right out of college, we developed these beliefs that say, I'm supposed to already know how to do things. And therefore, when I bump into situations where I don't know how to do something, it's very common for people to feel fear and then shut down as if it was the same kind of fear of doing jumping jacks on the edge of a cliff. So when we catch ourselves feeling fear, it's really useful to ask ourselves the question, which type of fear is this? Is this the one where I need to stop what I'm doing? Or is this the fear where I'm being asked to learn something new, something I don't know how to do? If it's the latter, then what we need to do is create a series of questions, a conversation, if you will, with ourselves to remind ourselves of what we've already learned how to do. Hey, if you're listening to this interview, you probably are fluent in English. You might even be fluent in a couple of other languages, but jot that down as something you've learned how to do. Perhaps you've learned how to walk, talk, ride a bike. Perhaps you've learned how to drive a car or some other things. Those things are quite complex that I just mentioned. And if most of us can learn how to do the things I just mentioned, eh, we're probably able to learn how to do just about anything. So the key is to first remind ourselves, I'm capable of learning. And then to get clear, what's your preferred learning style? Some people love to listen. They're auditory learners. Some people love to read a book. Some people love to go to school in someone else's mind or in someone else's experience. You know, if you happen to be somebody who likes having a mentor and you're doing it side by side, find someone to teach you the skill, the ability that you need to learn next in order to conquer this fear. I was really fortunate in my 20s to have a wonderful mentor who regularly said to me, figure out what you're afraid of and go tackle it. Take it on next and just keep challenging yourself with this kind of thinking. And eventually you get to the point where you realize, hey, I don't really have to be afraid of anything. And if I do feel that flash of fear, it's because it's a legitimate need to slow down or stop what I'm doing. And be cautious about something till you figure it out the right way to do it. But but you're right. Fear is not the good place to be. I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to think about move away from fear, but also think about how women can get stuck. And one area that you and I had talked about earlier was that women often get stuck in a cycle of trying to fix others. So I want to know from you, what have you found is the danger of getting stuck in this place? Oh, boy, this one speaks to my heart. Been there, done that, right? (laughs) I have two, girl. (laughs) You know, as an executive coach, I'm actually being hired by people to help them fix, help them develop capacities, strengths, skills that they didn't have. And so the challenge in that becomes when someone who hasn't hired me to do that (laughs) might hint at the fact that they would like that. Or even worse, when someone hasn't asked me to help with that and I see something that I could do for them. You know, the reality is until someone asks to develop in a particular way, they probably don't really want it. And this notion of I'm somehow going to fix someone else. Oh, one of my favorite little lines that I tell myself regularly is we all have free will. We all have free will. And the minute I try to take someone else's free will, I lose my own. So if I get hung up in trying to fix somebody else when they're not asking to be helped, I am attempting to take their free will as if I'm saying my free will is better than your free will. It doesn't work. It's a hard thing to stop yourself on though sometimes, isn't it? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I, I I have to check myself too because and I particularly find myself struggling with family members, you know, people that are very close to me that I have a very deep emotional attachment to it. I don't feel the need to fix those that are in my workforce and such as much as I, I've gotten past that and I'm very good at that, but I still struggle, catch myself sometimes trying to fix my loved ones and they yeah. haven't asked me to fix them. <laughs> Yes, yes. I I can really relate to that on so many levels. I had a very challenging relationship with one of my grandmothers. And she was an amazing woman. But with me, I always felt like for some reason, I wasn't living up to her standards or I wasn't good enough. I'll give you a couple of examples. I remember as a young girl being flown several states away and I got off the airplane and in essence, the first thing she did was looked at me and shook her head and made that tisk tisk noise. You know, uh, she said, your hair is much too long and I'm not going to spend the whole summer with that hair. We're going to stop by the barber on the way home and get that cut off. And you can imagine when I got to her house and my hair had been cut off to chin length. And I, I laugh at myself because that's pretty much where it is now. But my <laughs> long hair was cut. You know, I was, I was very, very upset about that. And then later when she asked me to see what I was reading I was excited about my Encyclopedia Brown and my Nancy Drew. And again, there was that, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we're going to read this summer. And she told me that she had uh, books and pamphlets for us. They were spread out all over the coffee table. And actually it felt like they were on every flat surface in her home. She had college admissions brochures. And I spent the summer of, you know, being an elementary school student reading college admissions brochures with her. It was just way over my head. And it just constantly sent the message that I wasn't good enough. And I could just go on and on and on with more stories of that experience. But, and that something really profound happened for me with her. As I got older, I did everything I could to distance from her. When I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to go to work for a company I just loved uh, in downtown Philadelphia. And I'm sure you've had the experience in your life of meeting someone who you just totally click with. And that's how I was with a young woman my age named Julie. Uh, She and I just clicked. We had some projects to work on together. We had so much fun together. And I don't know how many weeks into working together it was before I said to her, hey, Julie, I don't, I don't know uh, where you went to college. And she said, well, you've never heard of it being an East Coast girl. And of course, I said, try me. I have read a lot of college admissions. <laughs> and she said, all right, Northfield, Minnesota. I said, which one, Carlton or St. Olaf? She said, how could you possibly know those two schools? I said, oh, Julie, my grandmother was the head science librarian for them. And I visited her a lot in the summer times. There was a really long pause in that. And Julie said, do you mean Elizabeth Tomlinson? And I gasped and said, Julie, (laughs) how do you know my grandmother? And she said, oh, you are so lucky to have her as a grandmother. Oh my gosh, she's so wonderful. She's such a fabulous mentor and she takes such an interest in people and she's so great. She really is an advocate for women on campus and she was one of my advisors and I just love her. And Sean, oh my gosh, you're the granddaughter she took to Japan and you're the granddaughter she did all these things with. Sean, I heard so many stories about you. Annette, you could have picked me up off the floor. 
Because here, somebody I admired so much was talking to me about somebody I didn't like so much. And I had this really profound awareness of lots of things. I'm sure. I wanted to be able to see my grandmother through Julie's eyes. I wanted to understand how Julie could admire her so much. So we went to see her together. Julie and I went to visit my grandmother together. And I began to see that my grandmother affirmed her and pointed out all the things that she did well. And my grandmother had made so many deposits in the emotional bank account of their relationship with one another. It was amazing. But I also, over time, began to realize that my grandmother had loved me so much that she wanted to help me grow in ways that felt meaningful and relevant to her. And it often came across like criticism and judgment of me. And ever since then, I've begun to really stop and and listen to both myself and others. You know, if I feel like someone is trying to uh, fix me or judge me, I've started to realize that that's perhaps their way of showing me that they care and to to turn the conversation into that, to say something like, I sense that your feedback right now is coming from a place of wanting to really help me and contribute to me. And can we talk about it from that angle? (laughs) Because I'm starting to notice myself interpreting it as being judged, but maybe that's not really what you're intending or meaning here. Yeah. And that takes another whole level of emotional intelligence on, on both parts, the giver and the receiver. Yeah, it takes a lot of awareness. We have to be willing to say, hey, oftentimes when someone's giving us feedback, people can only give feedback from their own experience, meaning if they've felt it, if they've known it, if they've, here's another way of saying this, most people who bully others are being bullied badly themselves. And in order to stand up to a bully, we have to have incredible sense of who we are and a sense of peace within ourselves, and to acknowledge that that bully behavior is actually a reflection of them being stuck in such painful fear that they don't even see it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I love your perspective. It has so much depth to it. Sean, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Oh, wow, what a great question. You are so profound in the way you tease these things out. Anything else about my journey to greatness hmm, that I would like to share with other women? You know, one of my coaches many years ago challenged me to come up with a list of at least 100 experiences, things, opportunities uh, that I wanted to create in my own life. And when he initially gave me the challenge, uh, I, I sort of went away and I wrote down 20 things. And I thought, if I accomplish these 20 things, I will be so happy. I came back to my conversation with him the next week. He said, hey, do you have your list of 100? And I said, oh, I have 20. And if I do these 20, I'll be so happy. And that he said to me, Sean, I gave you the opportunity to create something bigger. And you created a glass ceiling for yourself. You know, so many times we do this to ourselves. We create glass ceilings by not being emotionally intelligent and by getting stuck in fear or getting stuck in anger or we limit what we hold in our mind that we're capable of. 
And one of the things I admire about you, Annette, is that you really help people to be able to look in the mirror and to see what's possible and to help people think in new ways. So kudos to you and these great questions that you're asking women. Thank you. And thank you so much, Sean. Thank you for being here with me today and taking time from your busy coaching schedule. I know you're in high demand. You're exceptional at what you do. And I so appreciate you being willing to share your wisdom and your vulnerability with our listeners. Thrilled to do so. Let's keep going. Let's keep going, right. So Sean is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. <music>